thing. Amen. Amen. However, if you do decide to stand on one leg and blink and stick your tongue out, holler because I'd like to video that. I think that'd be really cool. <laughs> How's everybody this morning? Good. If you've got your Bibles, lift them up. I have now entered the next century. I'm using an iPad to do my sermons now. Thank you. Yeah. So if I inadvertently turn it off or shock myself, you guys will know why. So I don't, I don't really know what I'm doing yet. Repeat after me. Say, this is my Bible. Every word in it is true. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's word. It's his truth transforming every part of my life. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys sound great this morning. I hope you've enjoyed, those of you that have been here the last five weeks, we've been talking about superheroes. I'm kind of a nerd that way. I grew up around comic books and superheroes. And if you've watched lately, the last few months, there have been a lot of superhero movies out, and it's really part of our culture now. And I thought it would be really interesting this summer to look at some people in the Bible who are considered superheroes of the Bible, the, the champions of faith, they're called in, in Hebrews. But folks, that there's something amazing, there's something different about them. And what was interesting as I started this study, I really wanted to pick people that we didn't necessarily know about or think about a whole lot, people that were superheroes in their own, own right, but not like Moses or Joshua, maybe the ones you immediately think of, but maybe people that were more like just me and you, just normal, everyday people that had encounters with God or encounters with Jesus, encounters with the Holy Spirit, and they became transformed in that process. You know, whenever we run across Jesus, whenever we run across crossroads in our life, we have to make a decision. And if you look at the story of superheroes, there's usually an event that happens that changes them and they become this new person. The, the individual we're talking about from the Bible today is a guy named Stephen. Out of the New Testament, out of the chapter of Acts, we're going to be reading about a guy named Stephen. Stephen was a deacon. Matter of fact, he was the first deacon that's ever listed in the Bible. And we're going to study about Stephen today and see what God did in his life. And I think you're going to find some amazing things. But the superhero that I compared Stephen to, the, the guy that I thought was a good parallel, is Iron Man. Anybody know who Iron Man is? Two of you. That's awesome. That's really making it harder for me. Now, Iron Man, he's a, really, he's a billionaire, Tony Stark is his name, and, and he, he's this inventor, engineer guy, and he, he's overseas in, in the Mideast somewhere, and a bomb goes off, and, and he gets riddled with all of this shrapnel that actually, it turns out, was from a bomb that he had created, his company had created in one of his factories, and, and he has to create this invention to get this shrapnel from going into his heart. And we're going to talk today about what God does in our hearts, but the title of the sermon today is, What Do You Do When Your Back's Against the Wall? What do you do when you're facing a situation that nothing in your past has prepared you for at all? How many of you would say you faced a situation before or now that you had no preparation for? You know, I, I uh, of course, have a business degree, and, and I, when I got called into ministry, Trevor and I share the same kind of degree. I had a marketing degree. They didn't teach me any pastor classes at business school. <laughs> so I kind of walked into this deal not knowing a whole lot. Some of you would argue I still don't know a whole lot, and that's between you and God. But, but I, you know, I walked into this thing where I didn't know a whole lot. I was thrust into a situation where I had to truly rely on God. And that's the benefit of running into situations that we don't have prior experience with. Because when you're up against the wall, 
and you need God, you're up against the wall, and you need God. What's amazing is he shows up every single time. And that's what we're going to be talking about with Stephen today. Open up your Bibles, look at your notes, or you can see up on the screen, Acts chapter 6. We're going to talk about this experience that Stephen had, and then I'm going to give you some some thoughts to walk away with today. Acts chapter 6, I'm reading out of the NIV. In those days, now, well, let me set this up. Jesus has gone to heaven. The church is rapidly growing. These are in the the days immediately after Jesus has been taken back to heaven. The church is growing. People are getting saved constantly. And so here we are. We're in Jerusalem. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. What happened, just like today, there were different denominations or sects of the the Jewish church and also the initial Christian church. If you remember from our study a few weeks ago, the Hellenistic Jews were the people with a Greek influence. The Hebraic Jews were the ones that were from the Jewish tradition. So these two cultures that both believed in the same God, a lot of those folks were getting saved, but some of them came from a Hebrew tradition, some came from a Greek tradition, and there was a conflict. And the conflict was over supplying food to some of the widows because the church knew that it needed to do that. And so now there's tension, okay? So the, the 12, the disciples, were gathered together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Now understand here, they're not saying it's a bad thing to wait on tables. They were just saying, look, we can't do everything. We can't do everything. We can't preach and teach and pray and, and wait on this group and wait on that group. And that's one of the things that I learned early on as a senior pastor is that I can't do everything. And, and as a church, that's not even the requirement of a pastor. The pastor's job description in the Bible is very simple. It says a pastor's job is to preach and to teach, but it's primarily to equip the saints for the work of the gospel. How many of you are saved today? Raise your hands. If you're not, you can get with me and I'll deal with that. We'll help you out with that in a little while. Amen? But if you're saved, you're a saint. Our job, the pastoral staff's job, is to equip you for the ministry that God has called you to do. And I think as much as any church as I've ever been around, we've got a lot of people doing a lot of ministry, don't we? That's because we're passionate about equipping you to do the work God's called you for. Amen? And so the disciples realized early on they couldn't do anything, and so this was their solution. Watch what happens here. Brothers and sisters, talking to the church, choose seven men from among yourselves that are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. We will turn this responsibility, this operational responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. It pleased the church. So they chose who? Stephen, a man full of faith. Notice that. He was full of faith. He was also full of what? The Holy Spirit. And then there's these other six gentlemen that came along that I'm sure were just as important. They presented these men to the apostles. The apostles prayed over them, laid their hands on them. And look what happened. So the word of God did what? Spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I love this. Look what happens. They realize we can't do anymore. If you read your Bible, back in the Old Testament, Moses ran into the same problem. 
he realized he couldn't do everything. And so his father-in-law said, look, I need to help you out. We need to assign some people to help you because this job is too great for you. And the disciples here are recognizing the same thing. The work was too much. And so the church voted, said, who are some guys that are full of the Holy Spirit? Who are some guys that have wisdom? We're going to make those guys deacons. And that's where deacons, trustees come from. Stephen was a first deacon. Notice what's interesting here and what you need to understand is it doesn't say that, that uh, Stephen went to a Hebrew Bible college. We don't know what his job was, but you can probably assume that he was a layman. In other words, he wasn't trained to be a priest. He had a job. But he was full of, the, full of wisdom and he was full of the Holy Spirit. And that's what qualified him for ministry. And guess what? That qualifi- is what qualifies you for ministry. That's what qualifies you. So let's look and see what happens. Go on to the next verse, which is verse number 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, look what happened. He performed great wonders and signs among the people. God was doing miracles through a lay pastor. God was doing miracles through a deacon. I mean, you got to look at this stuff. That's cool. It didn't say the disciples were doing it because we assume the disciples were Jesus. Of course they were doing miracles. Stephen was just a guy. He was just a man. And it just tells us that the prerequisite for God moving through him was that the Holy Spirit was working in him and flowing through him. And folks, it's the same for me and you. And I want you to catch that today because it's very, very important. So he was doing, God was working through him and miracles were happening. And look at verse number 9. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to what? Argue with Stephen. Look at verse 10. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Here's the point. Here's the point. If you want to avoid criticism and persecution in your life, I'm going to give you three things. This is You're going, wow, pastor's going to tell me how not to be criticized. And to, all right, watch this. Look at your notes. Look on the screen. If you want to avoid criticism and persecution in your life, here's the first one. Do nothing. Don't do anything. Here's the second thing. Say nothing. Don't say anything. Here's the third thing, and it's the biggest one. Be nothing. Boy, when I read this, it really impacted me this week. Stephen, think about this. The power of God is flowing through him. I imagine people are getting healed, and people are getting saved, and God's doing this amazing thing. And all of a sudden, the religious folks, Satan, jumps in and opposes the work of God. And he still is doing that today, guys. That's still what he does. And so I just want to give you clues here. If you don't want any persecution in your life, then you need to use our terminology, just fly under the radar. In other words, don't do anything. Is that what we're going to do? No. Why? Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And some of you are probably looking at this today and saying, well, nobody's criticizing me and nobody's persecuting. Maybe I'm not doing anything. Because the enemy will always oppose the work of God. But you know what? We don't put up with that. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Look at this next statement. 
Stephen cared more about making a difference than he did fitting in. He cared more about making a difference than he did care about what people around him thought. Stephen was a servant. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And the qualifications of leadership in God's kingdom do not rely on our ability. They do not rely on our talent. They do not rely on our past, our accomplishments, or anything else. They rely on God's Holy Spirit living in us and working through us. One of the reasons that I like to think we don't have a lot of pride or craziness going on around here is that we understand it's not us, it's Jesus. And you can know this today, when you begin to pray for people and you begin to share with people and you begin to love on people, understand that it's God's Spirit working through you, it's not you. And that'll keep pride from coming. If I pray for someone and they get healed, is it me? No. That's no different than a light bulb coming on. Is it the light bulb? No, it's the power. And that's how the Holy Spirit is within us. He shines through us. We're vessels. We just want to be vessels that he uses. Amen? Amen. And that's how we stay humble. Okay? So here's the big thought today. If you want to do something great with your life, serve like Stephen did. Normal person allowing themselves to be used by God. In Acts chapter 7, we see that Stephen has been falsely accused. What happened is the religious leaders came against him. And here's the thing. They couldn't find him doing anything wrong, so they went to some people to accuse him falsely. Does that sound familiar? This was the same bunch that did the exact same thing to Jesus a little earlier. They couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus, so they got people to testify against him falsely. And what they want, guys, is the death penalty. What they said was, Stephen is preaching blasphemy. He's preaching against Moses, and he's preaching against God, and we need to kill him. And that was their plan. So here's the question I asked earlier. Have you ever had your back against the wall? Think about this, guys. Stephen was hauled from the streets to a court with all these religious leaders. Everybody in there is trained in the Bible. Everybody in there is a Hebrew University graduate. These are some of the smartest people in the country. And they haul Stephen, a deacon, in front of them and they start accusing him. He has no training for this. He has no experience for this. There's nothing that he can draw on that prepares him for what's going on right now. Maybe for some of you, it was getting fired at work and you didn't know what you were going to do. Maybe for some of you, it's a call from the doctor that tells you your report's not what you thought. Maybe for some of you, it's a divorce. For some of you, it's a challenge that all of a sudden you're thrust into a situation and you do not know what to do. But the good news is there's hope. And the good news is there's an answer. So let's look at three things today that Stephen did that are also things that we can do when we find ourselves with our back against the wall. Look at number one on your notes. The first thing you need to do when you run into a situation with your back against the wall is look up. Look up. Acts chapter 7 verse 55. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, what did he do? looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You need to get your eyes focused in the right direction. 
It's so easy for us in life to look at the problems around us instead of looking at the solution to our problem. And God is always our solution. He's always our solution. Let me give you an illustration today that I hope will maybe help you guys about what you're looking at, what you're focusing on. I want you to look at your life right now, and here's the deal. One being the lowest number, one being the lowest, ten being the highest, and I want you to rate your personal joy and satisfaction in your life right now. One being the worst, one being I want to die and crawl under a rock, that's number one. Ten being I am so happy I should be twins, okay? So you've got the, the ranges, and I want you to look at your life and kind of rate where you are. Maybe you're a five, maybe you're a seven. You know, maybe you say, man, pastor, I'm a 12, whoop, whoop, whatever. You know, just rate yourself, okay? But if you're below a 9 or a 10, I, I, could, I can make you a guarantee today. I bet you, if you gave me 24 hours, that I could take you from wherever you are to a 10. How many of you would like to take that? You say, hey, pastor, hey, man, hands all over the place. All right, well, let me tell you how I would do it. This, this is how I would do it. I'm going to go ahead and give you the secret sauce, okay? Here's how I do it. First thing I do is I would go out and I would find an attorney, and I would have this attorney send you letters that tells you you're being sued for everything you're worth, and you're going to lose everything. The second thing I would do is go and, and talk to your doctor and have your doctor maybe talk to you, and, and you had gone in for a checkup. Maybe you thought it was a cold, but now you found out it is a very serious illness, perhaps even terminal. So that's the other thing that's happened. The third thing is I would go to your investment banker, and I would have him send you a letter that says you've lost everything. How many of you are happy with the way I'm doing things right now? Come on. Is this sounding good to you? Does this sound good? No, it doesn't sound good at all, does it? Thank you, Mark. Mark's honest. Mark wants to hit me. You ought to see the way he's looking at me right now. <laughs> Help me. <laughs> Doesn't sound good at all. But let's say at 23 hours and 59 seconds, I look at you and I say, man, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Everything's great. As a matter of fact, your investments are better than they've ever been. Your health is off the charts. You're not being sued for anything. Matter of fact, you're going to be getting a promotion at work. Doesn't that sound good? How do you feel right now? Probably two ways. One, you won't hurt me for doing that to you. But two is you feel what? Relieved. Relieved. You went from a six to a ten because of your perspective. It's because of your perspective and what you were focusing on. And when all of a sudden you realize that those things weren't going to happen to you, your enjoyment of life went up, and you're actually probably pretty thankful for where you are right now because the truth is things could be a whole lot worse than they are. And when you begin to look at things the right way, you know, I mentioned this in the first service, and it's probably true. How many of you remember being a teenager? <laughs> Some of you are laughing. Ed, you remember when you and Abraham Lincoln were running around. You remember that back in the day. You remember chopping wood and stuff in Illinois. Yeah. Back in, you know, but, but do you remember, I mean, just, just try to reach back. Do you remember how some things seemed like a really big deal, like shoes or, or a haircut or, or being able to go to a certain party, and you thought you would literally what if you didn't get to go? Die. I'm going to die, everybody going. You're ruining my life. Come on. But it felt real to you, didn't it? At that point, it really felt that way. It was a huge deal, and you couldn't wait to grow up. How many of you like to go back? <laughs> yeah. 
because that electric bill comes every month. <laughs> and groceries don't magically appear. <laughs> Y'all need to enjoy it. I'm talking to you. <laughs> we want to grow up. But then what happens is a lot of times when we grow up is that real life happens. And I'm not saying real life doesn't happen to teenagers. Unfortunately, they're experiencing a lot more real life than I ever did. But our perspective changes because the stakes go up. And it's what you're looking at. It's what you're focusing on. It's your perspective. Look at what Stephen did. Acts 7, verse 56. He said, look, he's in front of the Sanhedrin and they're testing him. And in the middle of this, the Holy Spirit is there. God is present with Stephen. And here's what happens. Stephen, with all these religious leaders, the same religious leaders that put Jesus to death, he's in front of the same bunch. And he looks at them. He's he's looking up. And he says, look, look, guys, look. I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, to put this in perspective for you, they've drug him outside the city and they are literally taking rocks and stoning him to death when he says this comment. You know, I don't know if you've been watching the news lately, but but right now, today, I'm sure somewhere, unfortunately, in the Middle East, ISIS is, is killing Christians, including children, for not turning back on their faith, killing whole families, renounce Jesus or die, and I hope they're looking up. I hope they're looking up because the world is a bad place, guys, and we need to be able to look up like Stephen did. Look at number two. Number one, look up. Number two, look ahead. You need to look up, but you also need to look ahead. I love the story of Peter when he and the disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee, and they're out there, and it's the middle of the night, and all of a sudden the storm blows up, and then they look out, and here comes Jesus walking across the water. Whoa, you know, and they were freaking out like you are. Y'all try to be spiritual like, oh, yes, there's a look. No, you'd have been freaking out too. And here comes Jesus and Peter, man. Jesus, if that's you, Call me because I want to walk on the water. You guys know the story. He gets out of the boat. He starts walking on the water. This is awesome. He's looking at Jesus. Hey, Jesus. And then what happens is he looks around and the Bible tells us, and the wind and the waves, and he started looking away from Jesus at the wind and the waves. And what happened? What happens to most rational people? I can't do this. He forgot he just did it. But now he gets over there and he goes, I can't do this. Because instead of focusing, looking at Jesus, he began to look at what was around him. And he began to what? Sink. And before we give Peter too hard of a time, how many of you have done the same thing? You bet. You bet. Where we begin to focus on what's around us instead of looking at Jesus at our hope. The cool thing is Jesus lifted him up and said, come on, man, let's walk back to the boat together. And before you give uh, Peter too hard of a time, remember, he got to actually walk on water. (laughs) Pretty cool. There's a danger when we don't look ahead and we begin to look around. And here's, here's one of the dangers, but I want you to think about this. It's comparing ourselves to other people. You say, well, pastor, how's that a big deal? 
Well, I want you to imagine at this time, Stephen, being around the other disciples, the other people of faith, if you remember your history in Acts, some of you have been probably watching the Bible TV show, which I heard is fantastic. Um, there were miracles going on constantly, and, and Christians were being locked up, and all of a sudden angels would show up and unlock the doors, and they would walk out, and people were getting healed from diseases, and, and all these miracles were going on. And I would think there would be the opportunity for Stephen in this situation to go, where is my miracle? Why are these rocks hitting me, Deb? Why are these rocks hitting me? Where's my angel? But that's not his response. See, I want you to understand something today. Every one of us in this room has our own race to run. Every one of us has our own course. The Bible tells us that, that God has a plan for us, and God's plan for us in our life is good. But Ed's race is not the same as my race. It's not the same as Tana's race. Everybody's race is different. And God loves you perfectly, and he has a plan for you. And it's a good plan, but we don't pretend to understand all of it. So here's the point. Jesus said in the world, we're going to have trouble. We're going to have challenges in the world. But this is the great truth that we get to hold on to. He has overcome the world. And even if you die, you go to heaven as a believer. And I was thinking about this this week, and I don't know why. I guess it was just because I was preparing for the sermon. But I think there's so much we don't understand. And I know I don't talk a lot about heaven because we've got a lot to do here. But the truth is, one of these days, if Jesus doesn't come back, you're going to die and something's going to happen to you. And as a believer, we have this blessed hope, we have this blessed promise that we are going to be with him in heaven. And we can't understand I know I can't understand how good that is because I think down here is pretty good sometimes because there's root beer floats. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I would say bluebell, but that was like killing folks, so, you know. <laughs> but I will point this out. I got a, a text from somebody the other day that had a picture of bluebell. They said, you notice they stopped selling bluebell and it's been raining in Texas ever since. You know, so they better start selling Bluebell again because, you know, my people are washing off down there. <laughs> Cattle are building arcs. I could go on and on. I won't. But we begin to compare our situation with other people's situations. In other words, God, why are you blessing Pam, but you're not blessing me? Why are you blessing such and such, you're not blessing me? And we get into that danger of comparison and it can destroy you. But Stephen didn't do that. Did you notice here? And there would have been nothing wrong for Stephen crying out for deliverance. Jesus did. Jesus said, if it's possible, I don't want to have to go through this. That's how bad it was going to be. Stephen never does that. Why? Because he looked up and he saw Jesus standing there. And he's like, wow. Wow. Look ahead. Where you're going. What's going to happen. Stephen knew he was transitioning from one place to the other. And there was no regret. What about you? You know, it's interesting. As Stephen was going through this, as they were literally stoning him to death, the Bible tells us that there was a young man there overseeing the proceedings, overseeing the execution. Who was it? 
Saul, Paul, the gentleman we talked about the other day, he's overseeing this process. And and the Bible tells us that the people that were stoning him came over, took their coats off, and laid it at his feet. In other words, he's given the seal of approval to this execution. Don't think for one moment that what was going on didn't impact him. Something got planted in there because it's not but a few weeks or days later that he has his own encounter with Christ that changes everything. But I want you to read a scripture in light of Paul, Saul, experiencing what he saw with Stephen. Look at this scripture, 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 17 through 18. Watch this. Here's what Paul says. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, look at this, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And I would like to think that maybe Paul was thinking about Stephen. Maybe he was thinking about Stephen when he wrote that, because that's the truth. And remember, Paul went through his own stuff too. And he said, I consider all this stuff I'm going through as nothing in compared to knowing Jesus. Intimate relationship with Jesus. God will use the situation that you're going through to inspire other people. Deb, I believe as you're healed, you and your family over time, God's going to use what you've gone through to help others. Because you've been there. With grace. You know, yesterday went down... uh, to Loberg Park, and of course we've got people running all over the place this weekend, and uh, the American Cancer Society yesterday hosted the Walk for Life, or whatever they call it, with the little shiny things so people could walk around at night and not get run over. I'm not really explaining that well, but anyway, they had this deal yesterday, and our youth band went down there and played for this thing, and of course I'm watching it, and, and some of our leaders are there, Barbie's there and others, and I'm going, I'm looking around, I'm going, we could help them make this so much bigger. And I was thinking about Donnie and others in our body that have fought cancer, those that have overcome. And I thought, we need to help them. This is something that as a church, we could, with very little effort, help them make it so much better. And so I I hesitated about two seconds. And then I went over and talked to their leadership team. And I said, hey, they knew who we were. And I said, you guys know some of the events we do? I said, let us help you make this a big deal next year. And they said, thank you very much. So next year, we're going to do that. We're going to get involved, and we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus, helping folks fighting cancer and other folks in our community because it's an important thing. Amen? Because that's what we do. That's what we do. But we've got to look ahead to ultimately point people to hope and who's really our hope, and that's Jesus. Amen? Look at number three. Look back. Look up. At Jesus, look ahead at what you're going to, where ultimately you're going to end up in life, and that's with him. And then look back. You say, well, Pastor, why look back? What, is that, what does that mean? Let me read this to you because I want you to get this. Acts chapter 7, 54 through 60. Remember, Stephen is not trained theologian. But when he stands before the Sanhedrin and they ask him to defend himself, he doesn't defend himself. He preaches a sermon to them on what they've done to the prophets that God has sent from the beginning on up to Jesus. And he talks about over and over again, it's the Holy Spirit in him telling him what to say. And the scripture tells us they looked at his face and it shone like an angel. 
The power of God was so strong in him. His face literally shone like an angel. And so he preaches to them this sermon. And then at the end of it, he says, all these religious people over the year killed the prophets that God sent to them. And he said, and you just did the same thing to Jesus. Here's their response. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Have you ever had somebody gnash their teeth at you? I will tase you if you gnash your teeth at me. I don't even even know what that looks like. But think about this. These are these people that are like the, the religious, hello, we're the religious people, hello, right? And all of a sudden, they're so fit to be tied. That's a southern thing for crazy, just so y'all know. I'm trying to help our Indiana folk out. They are so fit to be tied, they go crazy and start gnashing their teeth. That's how out of sorts they are. The devil stirring them up. And this is where this goes. 55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all bum-rushed him. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, Paul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 60. Then Stephen fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, make them pay for what they're doing to me right now. You know these guys are hellions, and they deserve to go to hell in a Learjet for what they're doing because I'm telling them the truth. Is that what it says? Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Forgive them. What? Stephen looked back. He remembered who he was before Jesus came along. That he was lost too. Just like me and just like you. And I'm convinced of this. That one of the greatest attributes that we can possess as believers is the gift of forgiveness. And his last words on this side of eternity were, forgive these people for killing me. What? I want you to see something else here. When Jesus died and he ascended into heaven, the Bible tells us that he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He's praying for us. Jesus is praying for you. But if you read the scripture right here, what is Stephen saying he sees Jesus doing? Standing. You know, these are the things in the scripture that we're reading sometimes. You can just gloss over them and not really think about it. But Jesus is sitting down and he's praying for you. Right now, Mark, he's praying for you. He loves you. He's praying for you. But all of a sudden, everything going on in the world, and Jesus is being, or Stephen is being drug out, and and God and and Jesus, and I'm just taking some license here, but obviously this is what happened. They're seeing what's going on. 
And they're watching Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, love the very people that are killing him and forgiving these people and the witness that's going forth there. And Jesus stands up. He stands up. What makes God stand up? The co-creator of the universe who spoke the world into existence stands up because of a man. (laughs) Just a guy, a deacon, just a man, nobody special, just somebody that stood up and did the right thing and Jesus stood up to receive him. And it's the same thing for me and you, and I hope you see that. I hope that you see that. That that Jesus shone from him. And it's the same for us. So the question becomes for you, where are you today? Where are you today? Where are you in this place? Where are you in life right now? Are you allowing God to work through you that way? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to work you? Can people see Jesus in you? I've got to tell you something. I'm going to brag on one of my kids. And I asked her if I could do this. I'm going to brag on Kennedy today. Kennedy went and took her driving, written driving test this week, y'all. She will be driving shortly, 30 days. You've got 30 days. <laughs> I thought she was going to be the craziest driver of the bunch. She's the most meticulous of the bunch. It just shocks me. But she studied. I don't know if you've you've been around her at all. She's a perfectionist. She was so nervous about taking this test. She was taking all the pre-tests. You know, uh, the written test, there's 25 questions, and it's about how many you pass. And if you pass 17, you you pass. If you get less than 17, you don't. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Well, she answers all of them right. She gets 17 right, and it says she passes, and she walks up. So she got 100. I was really proud of her. And she walks up in a courtroom full of people, and she walks up, and the state trooper's standing there, and he says, young lady, can I ask you a question? This is in front of everybody. She said, yes, sir. He said, you go to church, don't you? Yes, sir, my parents are pastors. I was like, I hope he doesn't hold that against her. <laughs> I mean, is, is this... Is this going to be, oh, no, you didn't pass, you know. No, he said, he said this, I can tell. He said, I can tell. <laughs> you know, <laughs> doesn't get any better than that. I mean, I could barely walk out. My head was so big. (laughs) She got all the brains from Trish. Y'all know that. Couldn't have been, but yeah, I don't need your comments, Ed. Just be quiet. You either, Dennis, don't say a word. People are watching you. She was there to take a driving test, and he saw the Spirit of God in her in a 10-minute deal taking a test. Without her ever saying a word? What about you? Do people know you're a believer by what they see? 
and how you act and what happens around you. When you walk into a room, does peace walk in with you or does chaos walk in with you? When, when you walk into situations, is the power of God flowing through you to help people and heal them or is it chaos? And I'm not saying that to indict you. You know I would never do that. But I want us to be real about this because this isn't a game. This is real life. You know, today some of you probably haven't seen it, but I'm going to show you. Tony Stark, Iron Man, what happens is, is he has to protect his heart from all those things going in. So he designs this, this light, this magnetic field in his body that, that shines this light. But this light protects him and it keeps these fragments from killing him. This, this heart light. But that's also the way you know it's Iron Man because it's that light going on. You can see the light. You know who he is because of that. I'm going to show you real quick. Looks like that. It's real. Y'all watch out. To raise funds for our new building for $29.99, you can have one as well. I'll even sign it. Don't laugh at me, Marty. Quit it. <laughs> Tina and Todd did this, which is I love it. We're talking about releasing people for ministry. They've been working on this series, Monica will tell you, and they get so excited about getting to help and do their part. This is their iPad. I hope they can get it clean. I don't know if they'll be able to or not. But, but, but when people look at you, is there something like this about you that sets you different apart from other people? People know you're a believer. Do they know? Look at your heart today and examine that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. And I thank you for your word, Lord, and I thank you that you love us so much. And, and I thank you I'm so inspired by somebody named Stephen who was just one of us. He was just a man. He was just a person. Nothing special about him except he had an encounter with you. And he, Holy Spirit, he just asked you to flow through him. And we have the same opportunity. And I would ask you today to really look at your life, look at your heart, examine your life today. Do people know you're a believer by just you being you? Did you come this morning and have to put your church face on because it's not who you are the rest of the time? I'm not saying that to be mean, I'm saying that to help you. You know, life is short. We only have so much time here, and the truth is we don't know how much time that is, but, but we only have so much time. And, and I would say to you today to ask yourself, do you want to be the kind of person that when it's all over with, Jesus stands up to receive you? And it's not about you doing anything special. It's about you having a relationship with him and allowing his love to flow through you. Stephen didn't plan on any of these things happening, guys. It was just God's plan for him. And he got to see Jesus stand up. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I'm not even a believer. I'm not even a Christian. But the Holy Spirit's been tugging on my heart. I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior today. If that's you, nobody's looking around. This is the most important decision you will ever make. If that's you, just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. I want to receive Jesus today. Maybe you're here today, and, and you're being honest with yourself, but the life that you're living 
you know, you're borderline, you know, you're, you're just right on the edge. You're not the person that you want to be. And, and you want to be the kind of person that the love of God flows through. You want to be that person. If that's you, slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. Amen. Amen. Or maybe you're here today and you're a Christian. You can put your hands down. Maybe you're a Christian and, and you know, things are going pretty well, but the truth is you don't really think about God all that much. You know, you know you're saved, but, but you don't know if you're really making that big of a difference to those around you. You do your job. You go to school. You, you don't get in any trouble. Maybe that's you. And here's my challenge to you today, and I think this is probably where many of us fall, is that we're just there. We're existing, but we're not really living. We're we're present, but we're not really there. And I would ask you this question. I would challenge you with this. Jump in with both feet. Jump in and just ask the Holy Spirit to come live inside of you and and flow through you and begin to work in you and and have free reign to you. Surrender everything to God. And you say, well, Pastor, man, what if something happens to me like happens to Stephen? I mean, what if, what if, what if? We can what if yourself to death. Jump in. If today you want to make that commitment, if today you want to say, I'm all in, I'm all in. If that's you, just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, it's me. Amen. Hands all over the auditorium. Let's all stand this morning. If you raised your hand for any reason today, I want you just to come down to the front and I'm going to pray with you. If you didn't raise your hand but you wanted to, you can come down to the front. This is important. And I just want to speak a blessing over you. Amen. Amen. Drink. If you're out in your seat, I want you just to hold your hands out to these people. And we're going to pray over them. Father, I thank you for your power, Lord, and your blessing. These folks are here today, and they're making a commitment that they want more of you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, they want more of you flowing in their lives. And so, Father, I ask you now in Jesus' name that you would anoint them with the power of your Holy Spirit and you'd begin to flow through them and they would become a witness to those around them. Father, that your presence would be with them like never before. That, Lord, they would move close to you in a way they've never known you. Father, that that your power and your presence would flow through them. That people would know who they are just by their presence because of your presence. And, Father, I pray that you would anoint their path And that, Lord, you would show yourself to them. In Jesus' holy and blessed name, we ask these things. And all of God's people together said, amen. And I believe something supernatural has happened for you guys. Jesus said, draw close to me. And as you've done this today, I believe he's going to meet you at the point of your need. And he's going to flow through your life. Amen. Amen. You guys be seated. Let's give them a big hand. Yeah, I'm Huh? You, you want one of these? Amen. Yeah, everybody going to be wearing little heart lights around. I'll be honest with you, this isn't very spiritual, but, but Trish said, well, that looks like a heart light in that Neil Diamond song. Turn on your heart light. Started flowing. Sorry, Christy. That's just going to happen. 
I just, I don't know. <laughs> Thank you for dancing, Ed. That makes me somehow feel worse. I don't know. <laughs> Guys, God's moving. God is moving. And he's changing people's lives. Be a part of that. Let him flow through you. Be a part of that. Amen. Amen. Grab your neighbor's hand this morning. I'll make you do it again. And then we're going to pray and close. Lord, I thank you for your blessing and your love and your mercy that's over us. Lord, I ask you just to anoint us to be your hands and feet. Open our eyes to the people around us. Open our eyes to the needs of our families. Father, help us to be the kind of people that you stand up for. That you stand up for. Because you're proud of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, high five five people, and y'all go love that world, okay?